How's it going, all you amazing people? This is the Amazing Action Comics podcast, indie comics spotlight and review show, which we try to do every week. Now, usually I am here with Angel Santiago. He is on vacation for the next two weeks. So uh, hopefully we're live and we're streaming. And I got this all right because I've just learned it on the ropes here. Uh, but he did give me a nice little tutorial there. But this is our indie comics spotlight for July 20th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, I will be your host, John Pepe, for this uh, for this episode. And I'm really excited to have a wonderful interview uh, with a great creator named Kevin Zoldan. I hope I got that right. And uh, we're going to talk about his newest book, Kitty's Bordello, and what's going on with that. And then we're going to kind of delve a little bit into his history and uh, and talk some comics and the state of the industry maybe a little bit at the end. Uh, but before we kick off, uh, normally this is where we do the news portion. But since Angel's not here to talk the news with me, we might do that a little bit with Kevin at the end. Because uh, there was a nice, interesting story that I, I definitely wanted to discuss uh, that broke this week. However, I do want to give a special birthday announcement to my very, very good friend, Tom Palmer Jr. Tom Palmer is uh, has been a friend of mine for over 30 years. He is uh, comic book royalty because his father uh, was the great iconic artist and embellisher Tom Palmer senior who uh you know just a ton of work that that guy has done in his uh, his career and just was an amazing amazing man and Tom is no different uh Tom also is uh, sort of uh one of the first champions uh for indie comics because he wrote for Wizard magazine in about the first 75 issues the Palmer's picks column which uh in a magazine that was full of guys in tights with bulging muscles fighting each other uh, he wrote the indie comics spotlight for that magazine and brought indie comics into the mainstream. So, uh, Tom, happy birthday. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Uh, it's been too long. All right. So now we're going to get into our spotlight. We're going to shine the spotlight on indie comic creator, Kevin Zoldan, and we are going to talk about his new book, Kitty's Bordello. And Kevin, there you are. Hey, what's going on, y'all? Yeah, appreciate you for having me, John. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here and helping me figure this out. This is, uh, this is a lot of fun. We had an issue at the beginning. You couldn't hear me. And uh, yeah. I realized I didn't turn the microphone on because I was so obsessed with the screen that I've met all this new stuff <laughs> I've never seen before. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. So, so welcome. Uh, you have a book that came out just about a month ago. Uh, yeah, first, yeah, the first issue. Yeah. First issue of a five-part, correct? Yeah, it's five books in total. Uh, the name is Kitty's Bordello. Um, it's based on the true story of uh, World War II, the Nazis. They take over a brothel and they put microphones in the walls and uh, they use that information to spy on their colleagues. And the information that they found out was insane. Um, so it's based on that true story. I did some historical uh, fiction towards the end just to make it um, up-to-date story and make it more positive and, and uh, female-friendly, not female-friendly, but female empowerment. Um, and I feel like that is a very important subject nowadays. Um, it always has been. It's just now we're, we're finally talking about it. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, the first book is called Hope. Um, it's out. Uh, it's for free on the website, kittiesbordello.com. And if you sign up for the email list, you get book two. And books one and two, they basically introduce all the characters that you're going to be reading about through uh, the five book series. Very cool. Very cool. So I uh, I love a good period piece. Um, I I'm you know what I like a, what I like in an indie comic is something that is either slice of life or an adaptation of a true story, uh, and I love that that period of history uh and i've kind of been like really immersed in that specifically like 1939 because i think that's where this book is set right that, that yeah period. that's where it starts uh, yeah i've been for obvious reasons i've been just on an indiana jones kick again so uh, i've been like yeah. really like digging that time period the you know the first three movies the, the and i've always loved that i mean that's when that's when in comics the magic happened superman was created batman followed everything kind of exploded in 38 39 um so that instantly caught me. I loved that that was set in that time period. I didn't really know about this story. So 
tell me a little bit about the story, how you discovered it. And then the point when you were like, you know, this would make a really good comic. Exactly. This story isn't really talked about too much. And it's kind of, I don't want to say it's a shame because I fell on gold, but this is a true story that nobody's really made a movie about. Nobody's really made a miniseries about. Nobody's like, there's been a few books written about it, but that's pretty much it. Um, and the fact that this golden piece of uh, true story was never made into anything. I was like, boom, I got a great story here. Um, and I was looking for something that would be true that I could kind of, you know, go off and do a little Quentin Tarantino thing at the end. Um, but but the fact that uh, I discovered it on Wikipedia and just deep dive. I just, I was a swimmer just going into the deep end, man, diving off that platform. I just read every book I could. I did a bunch of studying. Um, this story started, uh, I started writing it in uh, 2019. Hmm. So it's just been a lot of research. I wanted to get um, most of it uh, historically accurate. Uh, the first four books, I would say, um, are pretty much historically uh, accurate, except there's one character that I completely invented. Um, he's the journalist that's kind of weaving through, but he serves as a narration. Um, kind of keep you uh, grounded in reality because this story is so insane. The fact that this really happened, you need a narrator that's keeping you grounded and kind of being like, yeah, this is crazy that this even happened. So um, that character definitely served a purpose, but he was the last character that I wrote for it as well. Um, I wrote the, the full five books 24 pages each initially and i was like it needs something it's just i mean it does have like a great climax and and everything like that but it just needs something so stedman was perfect to fill that gap well it's important i think to have that um that's sort of that voice of the reader right the person that the, the reader is kind of being pulled through and a journalist is a great you know way to go with that um, I always look to uh, uh, Batman 89. Okay. And yeah. uh, when I met Robert Wall, I said, uh, you know, I said, look, man, this, you actually, your character, uh, Alexander Knox, the, the, the journalist, he's the audience is in, you know, he's the, yeah. he's us, you know, we're, we're following him because he's trying to uncover the, this, what's going on. And uh, he's like, I never thought about it that way. I was like, oh yeah, no, you're, you're, you're the audience is in. So to have that as your, you know, your voice of the audience or the, who they're kind of observing the events through uh, is great. And again, journalism, uh, you know, runs in my family. Uh, so I, that really grabbed me that, that, that idea that that's who was narrating the story. Um, so the real life Kitty um, kind of like what, what she, so I, I know it's also called Kitty's Salon in, in some other accounts of this story. Uh, yes. but, but what, um, so can tell us a little bit about her story and kind of, um, you know, without giving away too much, uh, kind of what what your angle is as far as who she is and, and what her, her role is in all of this. So she's the proprietor of Salon Kitty, which is uh, a brothel in Berlin. It's very high class. Um, all the top people, all the top tier in society, that's where they go uh, for the broth one. <laughs> and uh, she, so she owns it. She runs it. She controls it. It's all, it's, it's her baby essentially. Um, even though she has a kid too, but I don't talk about the kid at all in the story. There's no meaning for that, but uh, she was a very, very strong woman. Um, and she does get kidnapped and I don't want to give too much away as far as book one and stuff, but they, they basically, um, they blackmail her into having the Nazis take over her brothel and use it as a vessel to, uh, to spy on their own people. Mm. And, and in real life, they found out some pretty crazy stuff that um, took down uh, different countries, like different uh, um, high up military ranks in different countries. Um, and it's it's it was just such a crazy crazy true story. Um, she's a very strong-willed woman, though. Um, when I was doing research on her, I, the more I read about her, the more I gained respect 
Um, but she needed a little twist, and uh, and that's what what the ending that I provide um, the the historical fiction um, gives it on this true story. And I think readers nowadays in our setting and our in our life experience, they're going to gravitate right for this. And <clears throat> I just want to say the first three books are going to be um, pretty harsh. Mm-hmm. So they're going to read like pro-Nazi. I just really want to put the word out there that I'm obviously not pro-Nazi. Um, that's the reason I actually chose this project because um, I knew it was going to be difficult to finish. And I wanted to pick something that would be a challenge to finish and bring to fruition. Um, <clears throat> I've already been rejected by a few uh, um, reviewers because I mean, there's violence against women in the first uh, the first issue, they, and this is all true events that happened. And I wanted to, you know, tell the true story. And you have to build up that bad guy before you tear him down. Anyway, in my yeah. opinion, it leads for a better story. But yeah, the first few issues aren't going to be, you know, cake and and ice cream and and happy unicorns and fields and stuff like that. It's it's going to be a little um, a little difficult, but that also makes you um, have to analyze it and have to think about it and break down uh, the story. And I really just don't want something else like this to happen again. Fascism has kind of been on the rise in, in the U S and that's the reason that was another reason I chose this project. I knew it was going to be challenging. And I thought not only the political climate, but just society in general could benefit from a story like this and, and hopefully learn a little bit and uh, not walk down the same path. Hmm. Smart. Yeah, no, that's, and you're absolutely right that, you know, if you want to not repeat the horrors of the past, you kind of have to put that up front and you have to say, this is how bad it was. And, and I, and I like that you're telling people, look, the first three issues are going to be really harsh, but it's always darkest before the dawn. There is, you know, again, your first issue, the first story is titled hope, you know, so that is on the horizon for this story. Um, So, you know, and again, if, if it raises anybody's hackles, you know, you're, you're retelling true events, you know, and these are things that actually happen. You're just shining a light on it. Um, which is, you know, and you're trying to do it in an entertaining way and to hook people to, to have them see it through. So, um, you know, I don't think anybody should be really giving you guff for portraying things as they happen. You know, that's that. And, and, and I think people, I appreciate should, it. people should absolutely understand that, you know, because you're telling this story that you are not, endorsing what is going on you know these actions so uh and it clearly your 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 protagonist is kitty this woman who is an unwilling p- partner in this situation um and so again i hope people get to see it play out and see that there's a through line there's a beginning there's a middle there's an ending and all of it has a point and a purpose to get you to that ending so um I kind of want to talk a little bit about the process on this book, um, how you how you worked, how you hooked up with Abel Garcia, uh, and 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 how that all kind of wound up on the page. Abel Garcia, phenomenal, phenomenal. I couldn't be more grateful to have him as my uh, colleague in this project. Um, his artwork is amazing. His Instagram is. Uh, Al Otro Lado del Papel. He's from Spain and he speaks Spanish. I am from America and I speak English. My script is in English. He translates it in Spanish and and maps everything out and it's gold. The fact that's an exactly yeah, that's another testament to this day and age. The fact that he can do this that we can work together even though we don't even speak the same language. It's, it's phenomenal. I couldn't be more grateful for Abel. Um, I met him on uh, Instagram and I just was looking over his, uh, his uh, profile and he does killer work. And, and uh, I was looking for somebody that could pull off um, how these people actually look. And it's, I mean, it's based on true characters. So I, I, brought it up to him and I did uh, um, a few character mock-ups and he nailed it. And I was like, dude, you're it, man. If you want to join me on this project, 
I'd be grateful. And uh, he concurs. Like, we just work very well together and couldn't be more grateful for him. Um, but, yeah, I discovered this uh, story on uh, Wikipedia. Just read a ton of books. Um, I need to get rid of these books because on my bookshelves, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, Nazi women and like, <laughs> you know, like different things that I don't need to hold on to forever. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I did a ton of reading, ton of research on it. And, uh, and yeah, it just, it was very natural. Um, but it took a while and, um, the artwork itself takes a while to, mm-hmm. to make each comment, you know, you know, yeah. um, he's, he's the only, uh, person on the illustrative team that, does anything there is no letter there is no colors yeah. um and that's something else that we did intentionally we keep uh the environment gray mm-hmm. so it's a gray scale so they're essentially living in this dark and dampened environment that is reflective of how society is at the time and i you know i was living in Asheville, north carolina for, temporarily for like a year and when it gets cloudy there it gets really dark and gray. And I was like, this is a pretty good idea. And it wasn't very intentional. It was just me and Abel just working things out. And that's how it ended up working. But I was like, this is just a whole nother character essentially that could be added in there. It's a, it's, it's like the great Gatsby. Um, uh, Weather really has something to do with the story. And if it starts raining, it's they're probably going through like a rough time in that story. So I, I just wanted to make it reflective of, of the environment and everything like that. Um, yeah. And like I said, man, I just couldn't be more grateful for Abel. He's, he's phenomenal. I, I wanted to talk about the, uh, the look of the book because yeah, I, that was something that just initially grabbed me too, was that all these backgrounds are this grayscale, um, but that there's color in the characters, right? So they kind of do pop in this very gray world, which is really neat. Um, and, and I think it, one of the things that I've thought about as I was, as I was looking at this, um, it works because pretty much whatever we, whatever we kind of think of Nazi Germany, we don't think of a very bright, colorful thing it's it's gray uniforms beige uniforms brown um and then pop swaths of red right so so as far as a story you know as far as telling that story i think that that captures just even whether you know taken out of the equation what it was like to live under those conditions uh in a very colorless world and then the people who are who are existing in this stand out because of that color choice and that was your choice going in or was so that- so it's just something that worked out that way it wasn't intentionally thought of but when we're mapping out and working out uh basically how this story would be told and how he was going to do the illustrations. That was just an extra added piece. I was like, this is genius. Let's, let's keep it this way. Um, and, and yeah, it, the way it ended up working out was very beautiful. And it's, there's another twist on that as well later on, but it's for the time being, I was like, this is exactly the type of storytelling that needs to be in this. Um, just to have that environment. Um, so yeah, the, the characters are in color, but whatever they touch, their energy kind of goes into that and that object becomes, uh, becomes color out, colorized as well. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's the first time I've done anything like this. It's, it's pretty, it's creative. And now it's just something that, you know, happened organically between me and Abel and I couldn't be more grateful for the outcome for it. Um, it's blessed. Yeah. And, and I, I love the detail he puts into the backgrounds and the gray makes those details pop where color might wipe some of that away. Um, and then again, that contrast, yeah, with the, with the people in this world is, is really cool. Um, so you work full script. Uh, yeah. So I've, I've, I've done all the scripts. Yeah. Um, so all five scripts are completely done. I'm not, you know, making it up as we go along. It's com- it's a complete project that's finished. But um, I wanted full, it. You've had full script to the artist too, so it's not um, for for sure. Yeah, yeah. So with detailed on the page layouts, 
And yeah. Which is great because then again, if you kind of look at the you equate it to like the movie world, you know, then Abel becomes your your director slash cinematographer. So to come up with For sure. color choice, He's... that's your cinematographer being like, let's light it this way, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So all I do on the script is put um, the page number and how many panels. He sets it up however he wants to. He's an artist. I'm not going to step on his toes, get in his way. I'm not going to draw boxes and be like, set it up this way. Um, that was actually something I did for my first book. And that was definitely a learning, um, a learning experience. I did. I don't, I don't want to step on artist toes. There's no reason. Um, they're the ones that know more about that than me. I'm a writer. I'm a, I'm a stay in my lane, brother. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as far as that goes, yeah, I'm, I'm the writer, producer, editor. So when something doesn't come out, um, exactly how i want we talk about it and we just uh have something that works and right. and we hash it out and make something yeah we work together it's 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 completely uh a very safe space between me and abel again can't be more grateful for him yeah. i'm gonna say that throughout this whole podcast <laughs> well yeah. that's a great it's a great trinity uh you got the three of you you got you abel and google translate and uh, this is making yeah, this yeah. Happen, right? so. <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah. let's uh, let's go back a little bit, not all the way to 1939, but let's uh, let's go back to uh, your beginnings. Um, how did you develop a love for comics? What you said you are a writer, so I'm sure you've done writing that's not comic related. But what led you to want to do comics? And then let's talk about your first book and and uh, what's been between that and this, and of course gotcha. the pizza party. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I got into comic books when I was about five. Uh, my middle brother, his name's Spencer, he gave me uh, the Teenage Mutant Turtles, like, origin, volume one, um, basically how that whole thing, like, became and, and their... The, uh, the original their... Uh, original flavor, Eastman Laird, black and white, with the young oh, yeah. Murdoch cameo. Oh, yeah. Nice. All right. Yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> solid, man. That was great. It was great, man. Um, yeah, so that got me into it. I was like, Turtles, man, this is cool. And then I was really into Ninja Turtles, and I got into X-Men. And I, X-Men kind of was the beginning of this could be way more than just comic books. The storytelling, it has applicable, applicable themes that could be tied into society. Um, the first X-Men, uh, civil rights, that's yeah. basically, that's essentially what it was about. And now it's about uh, um, LB, uh, QT, um, their Diversity rights. and acceptance. Yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Exactly. That's Human what it's rights. all about. That's the, yeah. exactly. That's the core message of it. And yeah. got me straight into it. I was like, this is great. Um, and then I discovered Alan Moore. Um, so without, I'm sorry, without God. aging you too much, what era X-Men are we talking? Are we talking uh <laughs> I'm talking about the original definitely the Chris original uh definitely well when you were getting into X-Men, the Chris Claremont was writing. Uh, uh that was seventies. That was seventies. Oh, he wrote, he, wrote, he, he was... wrote through to uh, the ninety ninety one. Oh, okay, then definitely, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, so you were you yeah. were as a younger reader, you were going back and reading the older stuff. So yeah, I did. Yeah, I did read a lot. Um, what originally got me into it was the animated series, and I think wow, that was like period. the late eighties, early nineties. Um, uh, and I got really into. 90s, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I uh, got really into the Batman animated series as well. Um, I like the grittiness of that one. Um, RIP to, to the voice actor on that one. You know, I know he passed away a few months ago. I didn't post anything. I wish I would have, cause that, that really had an effect on me. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Claremont with his outer space themes kind of got me into it. Um, there's been so many prolific writers in the X-Men, um, uh, since then as well. Oh yeah. Um, the X-Men has always been pretty formidable. Um, <laughs> but I really got into Alan Moore. Alan Moore is the one that just blew my mind to shreds and then put it back together. And <laughs> I think, I think there's probably more than just him, but he sat down and he wrote, um, I don't want to say formula, but he broke down his process about creating and writing. Mm -hmm. And he did that at the beginning of his, of his career. And he just did a BBC maestro and my lady got me that for Christmas and it's like 33 lessons, something like that, where he just talks. Yeah. And it's like attending a lecture. And that, that was towards, I don't want to say his career has ended. He's still working, um, just not as prominently as he was before. 
Um, but he's the only one that I know that does the beginning and the the end um, for his process and explains it to you. So not only were his books, Watchmen, V for Vendetta, completely, they just blew me away, mm-hmm. masterpieces. Um, but he explains his process as well. And uh, he, huge influence. Um, but his his stuff is pretty intense, pretty pretty intellectual, pretty pretty dense, and yeah. and I love it. I love it. It's great. But um, I wanted something a little uh, less. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but I just wanted something slightly easier, but a little still with that uh, intellectual thought process behind it. But didn't want it to go as deep as he does. He's he, he's an intense guy. He's a scholar. You, you have, have you read from hell? Oh yeah. And the annotations. Masterpiece yeah, as well. Insane. Insane yeah. those annotations. Uh have you ever oh, yeah. read an Alan Moore script? No, uh, I did uh the killing joke. You um, probably still I, read I, it. Yeah, yeah. Like I was like, I can't write a script like that, dude. That's not that's not the way you write a script, dude. But his process is very interesting, but he's definitely not somebody you want to carbon copy. You got to do your own thing. But having him as an influence was great. But yeah, dude, do I want to be Alan Moore? Killing Joke is always my favorite example of an Alan Moore script because it's a 48 page comic, right? And I have the absolute edition. Oh, you still there? Yeah, good. yeah I'm here. I'm here. Just a little buffer. I have the absolute edition. So the absolute edition re- prints the the current recolored version for the 15th anniversary that Brian Boland did. Prints again the same 48 page story again, uh, but with the original coloring, right, from when it was originally released in '88. And then it's got all the background, you know, like the the extra stuff, all the sketches, and all the promo art, and all the Joker related stuff Boland had done up to the release of that absolute edition. And then it prints the Alan Moore script. And the Alan Moore script is like almost 200 pages for the 48-page comic. And it is longer than the comic twice and the extra stuff. And I was like, that's the yeah. greatest example of what an Alan Moore script could be like. Yeah. It's, it's a little too dense for me. And I want something that uh, when you're an indie creator, finding artists to work with is not the easiest thing in the world. And I'm not trying to bombard them with an Alan Moore script, brother. I'm yeah. trying to I'm trying to get them something they can work on. So um script panels what's happening each panel let's get it done you know so um yeah yeah, so so you are a writer um what do you what do you write besides comics and then how did you get into writing comics as far as what was your first comic that you worked on gotcha um so i started writing basically anything i wrote short stories in high school i wrote a lot of poetry um you know, teenage angst. I was in punk rock bands, you know, just trying to get feelings out. So um, there's a lot of emotions through high school for me. I had a father that was uh, passing away, not trying to get too deep, but there's a lot of, you know, heavy situations in my life. So poetry, that was something I leaned on. And uh, and some of it became song lyrics. Um, I wasn't the singer, but the singer in my band, he was awesome. And uh, was like, hey, man, this is really good stuff. Let's use it for this song. I was like, perfect. Um but yeah, it was, uh, writing has always been uh, a form of expression for me. Um, and in my 20s, it kind of took a slow dip. Uh, I got more into music at the time. Um, did a little bit of touring on the East Coast, things like that. Um, nothing, it's a punk band. Nothing's really going to come from it at all. Uh, so I had to get a real job. I moved out to California, and I really had to get a real job. Uh, so I started working at a hospital. Um, I was an IV technician. I mixed all the medication for bags and stuff. And that was pretty daunting and very stressful. Um, and that led to a lot of uh, um, uh, health consequences for me. So I was out of work for, for about a year. Um, I had a stroke and I had to relearn how to write. Um, I lost function on the right side of my body, the left side of my face. And uh I had to physically relearn how to write and uh, Unbroken. That was my first comic book. Um, It came from that. And it was basically uh, just trying to figure out how to tell a story fully and and get my mind working right. 
And after, uh, they say after six months, if you don't fully heal from that, you're kind of stuck the way you are. Mm-hmm. And six months came, went, uh, it was about seven, eight months. I still wasn't fully healed. I was like, shit. So I started playing drums, started playing drums. And that's where you, uh, I, I, I play drums, but I got back to the drums and not very good. Please don't think I'm a master drummer, but it gets you using all your limbs in coordination. Yeah. And that's really what helped me uh, propel me over the edge. But I really attribute to writing that really got the thought in my mind to, hey, man, we got to get back to get back to par at least and figure out uh, where we're going from there. So it is a complete gift to be able to write still. And I don't take it for granted. It's, it's amazing. Um, I did Unbroken with a Canadian artist. His name is Bax. Um, so grateful for him. He did uh, ink on paper and mm, scanned yeah. it. It's, it's, it's a raw comic book. It's exactly what uh, the theme of that story is. It's a survival story. And uh, it turned out great. A lot of critics all over the world really praised it and, and loved it. And a lot of uh, people all over the world really, really kind of latched onto it and liked it a lot. Um, and that was encouragement. So, uh, you know, um, I found uh, Salon Kitty at that time, um, that story, and I deep dove into that. And it took a really long time to formulate that story. But this is also during the Trump presidency. So I was like, this is an important story to tell. So, uh, yeah, it's moved on from there. But, uh, yeah, kind of kind of uh, turbulent history, but uh, so grateful to be where I'm at and doing what I'm doing now. I mm-hmm. couldn't be couldn't be happier. And so unbroken is the story of your stroke and recovery. No, it's all symbolic. Uh, okay. Gotcha. So it's about, it's about, uh, it's about a juvenile person. Um, they're in a war torn town. You, it's, it's all very vague because I wanted to keep things vague in my own mind just to make sure I could tell a story in the first place. Yeah. So it's a war torn town. Everybody evacuated. She was trapped um, underneath uh, uh, some rubble. She got free later and she was by herself and she just learned how to survive and, and had to fight off uh, the people uh, that are still coming and, and, and passing through the town, the enemy soldiers. So it's, uh, yeah, it was, it's like, it was a good, uh, it was a good first, uh, first try at comics and I couldn't be more grateful for Bex. Unfortunately, me and him lost contact. Um, and everybody, uh, that I talked to mutually, um, we haven't been able to contact Bex. So, Hmm. uh, it was supposed to be a trilogy, but it's just going to be a single one shot. Um, I'm not the type of creator that switches artists. Hmm. Once I start a project with an artist, that's their baby too. Yeah. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna step on, on, I don't want to say his toes, but I don't want to step on on the awesome work that he did for that first issue and and just replace him and find somebody else. That's not in the cards at all. Um, so that was another reason that I wanted to uh, to do um, uh, Kitty's Bordello. But it took a while. I didn't have another comic book as, you know, I wrote all three scripts and I didn't have, um, you know, buffer time in between projects. Right. Um, gotcha. Yeah, well, it is buffer time in between projects. I didn't have, you know, issue two, issue three to complete the trilogy. Yeah, Yeah. but um, yeah, the first one was very well liked. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm pleased with it. And it was was a good shot and I learned a lot. Um, So being able to apply everything I learned to this project, again, gratitude. You know, you just keep learning and growing. Well, maybe uh, Bex is out there and this finds his way to his computer screen or phone and someone sends it to him yeah. and maybe that'll uh, link you guys up again, but uh, you do at least have that I, one I, piece of work, you know? Yeah. I, I have such admiration and love for Bax. He's such a great guy. Um, one of the most um, original people I've ever met. He's just such a solid guy. Um, friendly, completely nice, awesome human being. It, it sucks that we lost touch. Um, yeah. I miss him. He's a good, he was a good friend, you know, and especially being my partner during that really turbulent 
era for me. It's it's right. it's it's a huge loss not to be able to speak with him. Yeah. So, Bax, if you are out there, man, I love you, brother, and I hope everything's <laughs> good with you. Um, I do like though that your your first comic, Unbroken, you know, while it isn't, uh, you know, while it, it was it was that recovery process for you after your stroke, uh, and it's not about that, but it is still a survivor story and about somebody having to yeah. relearn, you know, how to exist when what they're used to, the way they're used to existing, is no longer there. So that's that's tremendous. And man, that I didn't know that. That's an amazing story on your part. Uh, God bless you. Congrats. Like. Yeah, hey, I appreciate you know, it. that. Strokes terrify me, and, uh, and I'm a smoker, so uh, yeah. so I'm glad that you're here and talking with us, and you made it on the other side of that because that is a remarkable and amazing story. Uh, so I'm glad that you also channeled that into this work. Um, so both your books, uh, Unbroken and uh, Kitty's uh, Kitty's Bordello, are under the Pizza Party publication banner. Yeah, so Unbroken, I just kind of did it. I didn't put the Pizza Party logo on the first issue. Um, I was going to put it on issue two and three. Um, I came up with, uh, you know, I needed a company. I didn't want to just be Kevin Zolden, you know, all the time. I kind of wanted something way more fun and friendly sounding as uh, as my my uh, my publishing house, essentially. Um so I created up with something silly, even though it's it's all pretty uh, um, dark themed stories so far. <laughs> I wanted something a little bit more livelihood, so it has a balance, you know. And yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not trying to poke fun at anything, but yeah. pizza party at the station. You're basically declaring a pizza party, and I wanted that for each release. I wanted to to celebrate it, you know. So that's awesome, and yeah. I like that it's not a, a pizza party presentation or presents as a pizza party attestation, uh, especially that's if you it, are, are you know doing this real world story too. Um, so now you did say that uh, the first issue is currently available on the website. Yeah, um, you go to the website; it's right on the landing page. Uh, sometimes it takes a little bit to load because it's pretty pretty heavy and dense, but you you get there, you get on it. You can read the whole first issue for free. Um, if you sign up for the email list, you get uh, the second book for free. And that basically uh, gets you introduced to all the uh, characters in the story. And it is a slow burn. Um, you know, I'm really inspired by, I don't know how you really pronounce the name, Scorsese. Um, Scorsese, yeah, that works. Mark Scorsese, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love I love the work of a lot of those uh, directors, and uh, Slow Burn is a great way to tell a story, in my opinion, and it works for the comic medium. Um, the comic medium is so versatile in storytelling. You can exactly. you can do so much, and it's like a book. So you can, if you have questions, you can stop and reference something in the in the back. It's not like a movie. You're basically stuck in that storyteller's uh time frame and that's that's all you get all you get is is what they want to show you at that particular second and that's how you have to once you start it you have to finish it you can't hit pause at a movie theater mm -hmm. and answer any questions so uh comic books are amazing way to tell stories as a creator uh, Graham Morrison uh, refers sometimes refers to comic books as a uh, almost a perfect form of time travel because you can jump forward, you can jump backwards, you can go back and revisit moments. Uh, so yeah, I was uh, resonated with that uh, when he uh, in his book. I think it was Super Gods that he wrote that uh, one of his manifestos. But uh, yeah, it, 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 that's one of the lovely things about comics is that you can you you, you know because it's not words on a page. You have the pictures to go with it. So you have these easy reference points. Uh, I always write in friends for like, why are you putting a bookmark in your comic? remember what the picture looked like <laughs> and even yeah, if you didn't yeah. you go back and whatever you know but yeah that the, the ability to just jump around at any points in the story is always uh one of my, my favorite things about that medium and it's all laid out before you like that um so currently digital uh kitty's bordello available in print any plans to, to go to print so um to keep costs down i'm doing digital only for the for the first for the release of the five books and then i want to collect everything in a volume and just do it that way um and kickstart the volume um so uh doing each individual issue would be pretty inefficient as far as cost goes um 
Yeah, you know, it would be awesome. That was my initial plan. But um, I have this community of uh, comic creators that I kind of reference. Um, it's, it's Comic Lab. It's a podcast where they teach you to uh, make comics and make a living from comics. That's their, that's their tagline. Great advice. Solid people giving you great advice. They've been doing it for over 20 years individually um, as, as artists. And it's, it kind of goes along all spectrum from strips to uh, graphic novels, everything. They give you good advice. Um, and they're like, don't do individual issues. And I, I, at first it was, like, mm, you know, that it was like a blow. I didn't want to do that. But then the more I analyzed the numbers, uh, the more I was uh, agreeing with them. And, and I really want this project to work and I don't want any snags um, to come up to, to get in the way of finishing this project. So I think, uh, um, yeah, I no think print so far, even though I absolutely love it. Man. Yeah, I love print. Yeah. Holding oh, yeah. a printed book in your hand. Oh, there's nothing like it. Yeah, exactly. um, it's like a baseball glove. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. It's like the smell, the love of it. It's yeah. just, yeah. Um, but yeah, that hope, you know, that'll come from, from the printed uh, volume of all five books anyway. So, and you know, it's not like I'm, you're not, yeah, it's not like I'm disregarding. Exactly. Um, I love it and I want to pursue it. Yeah. And I think in this day and age, I think that that is a really good way to go. You kind of seed the audience with the digital. And then when it, you get the whole thing in one nice graphic novel that also gets you into bookstores maybe schools because it's a historical thing, you know, that kind of gets it out there uh, and people don't have to chase around for it. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're just intent on getting your story out there for people to read, like I said, digital is a great way to, to, to start and then just get it in print when it's all, when it's all done. Uh, it's, it's a great way to go. Are you currently doing any crowdfunding uh, for the digital issues or just sign up for the email, get the first two issues. And then does the email get yeah. to the subsequent issues as well? Uh, no, so it just gets you book two so far, and that's the only one that's completed. Oh. Um, Abel's working on book three now. Uh, like I said, all the scripts are done, um, yeah. but it, you know the comic comic process takes a while. Uh, it's like a pregnancy for each one. It's like you're birthing a creative project. Yeah, um, I give them nine months anyway. It's it's whatever. If he finishes it before that, great. If not, I'm not going to push an artist to try to work quicker. That's the last thing I want to do. Yeah. I want to create a. Uh, you know, friendly environment for both of us to be able to uh, work together cohesively. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. So getting yeah. on, I think digitally is the right way to go. Yeah. Yeah. To, again, just to get it out there and then get it compiled and printed later on. Cause then again, you already have that built in audience when it does come time for the Kickstarter, the crowdfunding, and then you can exactly. you get the book and you're going to get a bell and whistle and all these tiers and all that stuff. So yeah, I think it's a great way to do it. And by signing up for the email, it will also keep you in the loop as to, you know, when the next issue will be available and, and so forth and, and uh, for your crowdfunding efforts. So that's, that's a great way to go. Uh, that's something that I don't feel like, we have encountered yet in anybody that we've reviewed on the spotlight here. So I kind of mm. like, I like that model. I like that idea of that's how you're doing it. Uh, not just jumping into the crowdfunding. I like the idea of building that audience, getting the word of mouth out there. I think that's a really good way to go. Um, and I have I'm a little bit of leftover audience from Unbroken, but right. I need to build my audience more to make yeah. it something that's feasible. And uh, it's, you know, a historical fiction comic book isn't the most friendly so uh that i realized that was going to be another challenge yeah um so and you don't the, the point i really want to make is it's such a good story you don't have to be a historian to love this book mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. the story propels it all the way through um just because it is based on history doesn't mean that you have to absolutely know everything about the third reich and, and things like that you know what i mean it's it's, it's a great story and you'll, it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie. When you went and saw Inglorious Bastards, you didn't have to know everything there was to know about World War II. It's yeah. just a very entertaining story. And that's that's uh, how I want to present it. I want to yeah. present it as just a very good entertaining story. 
And uh, along, you mentioned the Quentin Tarantino before too, because uh, that, and that reminded me of one of the things I did love about how you lay out the book. Um, you know, again, if you're familiar with the Glorious Bastards, when the character's introduced, you get the title card, and and you do that in this, and I was like, oh, this is great! I love this; is so cool. Um, so I love that huge inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You homage, right? Yeah. And, oh, for um, sure. And and so. The other thing too about doing this sort of historical fiction, uh, or this this, this based on a, his history, but putting a fictional spin on it, um, you reach you have a potential to reach a, a wider non-comic reading audience. You you can pull in people who love history or love that era, or you know. So I think that it does open you up in the market a little bit more than if you were doing the dystopian future book, you know, or whatnot you know so um not what not whatnot but you know what i'm saying um so yeah i wanted different markets to be able to go after and try to get them into because comic books is a medium that some people kind of gloss over mm -hmm. and they don't take seriously uh watchmen it's in one of the hundred greatest novels of all time and it's a comic book it's the only one in there yeah. um so i kind of want it to be uh i don't want it to be uh, yeah, I want it to be tangible for everybody to be able to read and, and kind of get in. And more than just uh, the comic book market. But, I mean, the comic book market, I absolutely love it. Great people involved. Mm -hmm. um, the indie community is is exactly that. It's a community of people that try to, um, you know, uh, amp up everybody else and, and keep them positive and keep them working on, on their projects. It's such a um, great and close-knit community. It's it's. it's something i'm proud to be a part of yeah yeah and you know again with this material too with kitty's bordello um it, it has the potential to reach this uh you know people who enjoyed art spiegelman's mouse right which yeah. you know like like it has that potential Great book. to to reach that audience because the story you're telling is important you know um and it and it, like you said the point is we don't want this to happen again. We don't want this kind of society to erupt again. And we don't want, you know, people to be pulled into doing things that they don't want to do when they're just trying to make a living, you know? So I think that's fantastic. Um, Unbroken, is that available in print uh, at this time or? Uh, yeah, uh, it is. Um, I need to go. Uh, so I've moved around a lot. Uh, right now I live on a remote island in the Pacific. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, wherever life needs to take me, that's where I'm rolling, man. And uh, uh, so all the printed copies are back in Texas uh, in my in my lady's uh, mom's uh, storage unit. Um, so no, there's none available at the current moment. But, uh, you know, as soon as I'm able to go get grab some, I'll update the website. But uh, digital, uh, unbrokencomic.com. Uh, it's available digitally and it, I did print issues for that one, which was another learning curve, but I still have some, uh, and happy to, happy to update that when I'm, when I'm able to. Right on. All right. Um, so you know what, we're going to just start to wrap it up, but before I go, I just kind of wanted to pick your brain, um, on what the state of the comic industry is right now, specifically when it does come to indie creators. Um, I, you know, Angel and I always concentrate on everybody but DC and Marvel uh, as far as what we consider indie. So we still lump Image in as an indie creator or any comic pub publishing company because of the diversity of the different types of book that they books that they put out and the sheer volume of it as well. That they 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 are not afraid to tackle any genre. Um, and I feel that we need more companies like Image out there doing that. And some do, like Dark Horse still does it, you know, um, IDW to a degree with their IDW originals. But a lot of these, you know, Dark Horse, IDW, Dynamite, they do rely on their licenses, uh, which, exactly. which, which carves, which, which blocks space, I think, from other stories getting out there. Um, from your perspective, as somebody who is doing this on your own, uh, how do you feel the state of the indie, co indie comic industry is right now? And then that being said, there's that little bit of news I just kind of want to touch on a little bit before we go. But yeah, how do you feel things are going right now? Um, so you have the big two, tier one. You have tier two. That's what I call it. Uh, I call it Image, mm -hmm. uh, Dark Horse, uh, um, Dynamite, all the other ones, Top Cow even. Um, I, I love them all in tier two. They have 
they have their series. Mm-hmm. They have their their stable. Um, and they're not going anywhere. They're safely in Tier 2. And then you have uh, some other ones uh, that are in Tier 3. And then you have the lowest totem pole, which is, you know, creators like me. Um, I want to retain all the rights to anything that I create. Mm-hmm. So um, if I have to do all the legwork myself, I'm going to do that. Um, the more I can get out there and speak with people, the better. Um, I'm trying to not give up any rights to doing it. But so with all the technology that we have available, it's a playground for us now. We're mm-hmm. able to get our get our name out there. We're able to, um, like I said, it's a community of people. We're able to kind of circulate uh, our projects and what we're working on and build a community and, and a conversation about mm-hmm. something in the first place. Um, so I think indie comics are doing very, very good. And you have all these uh, tier ones that are, uh, you know, making all these movies. So you're, you're funneling everybody into loving comic books in the first place. Mm-hmm. So you have this new audience to kind of go after. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say go after, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, to, 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 yeah, to try to get into mm-hmm. your, your creation as well. Yeah. Um, but, but I will say, I think print is, uh, I don't want to say a casualty, but it's going that way. And it's so sad because you have somebody like me that wants to do print. It's just not economically feasible. Yeah. It's, it's not really an option for me. So we have to go digital Um, and it's a shame in all honesty, but, but, but that's the environment we're in. And am I going to stop creating comics now? You know, um, I'm just going to go after people and, and, um, go after, uh, audience members and try to get them into, into my fold. But the fact that we still have the ability to do, uh, collected volumes in print, <clears throat> that'll keep us keep us going. But I think even the big ones are talking about cutting back on their, their printing of single single floppy uh, you know issues. And there, that's a shame. Man. Yeah, I mean it's I don't know. I still feel there will always be a need for that. Um, but it is looking fewer and farther between as far as okay, what is going to warrant a big two publisher to put out as a floppy rather than just going direct to graphic novel? Um, And right now it's like, when I look at some of the stuff that the big two are doing, it's like they're just trying to get as much out the door as floppies as they can, as if at some point they might not, they might have to scale it back to, you know, one or two Batman titles rather than 15, you know, like things like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it saves some of those others for like special things. Uh, but yeah, I mean, with the advent of Patreon, Kickstarter, all this crowdfunding stuff, it does allow you guys to do the, the, the work that means the most to you uh, under your own rules without compromising too much. Um, and knowing your audience and knowing who you are, doing this for and entertaining because you even build communities within those kickstarters as well from what i've noticed so i think that's really cool for sure people who are not just financially invested but emotionally invested in your work and i think that has been a great opportunity uh and yeah one of the the boons of our digital age that we're dealing with um also uh you know you do you do see a lot of crossover you see a lot of guys like james tinian the fourth who you know made a big splash as an indie creator busted through the big two for a while and it's like, all right, I'm bringing it back and I'm doing indie comics again, you know? So that's always nice to see as well. People who remember their indie roots uh, and go back to it. Um, and, you know, it, I don't know if you would be averse to someone that image reaching out to you to be like, this is a great book. We want to publish this book, Kitty's Bordello. Um, if that, you know, cause I know image image is big on creator rights. Um, but if that is a success that you're looking for, uh, I hope that that reaches you. Uh, but also I know from what by talking with you, um, it's about the work. It's that you're passionate about the work. You're passionate about the storytelling. What means the most to you is getting that work out there and getting eyeballs to see it. And that is so noble 
uh that that i i really applaud you for that and again as well as for your survival story as well because that to me is just unfathomable and so i really wish you all the success in the world um as far as uh this project and future projects as well um you know i yeah, appreciate you a lot so Appreciate you being here. Appreciate you doing this. Um, yeah, the little bit of news I wanted to talk about that broke this week before we uh, wrap this up. Uh, Whatnot, which started as sort of like a video auction site, uh, went into publishing with Massive Publishing, and they've published a few titles. And they made a deal recently um, to published the final issue of Heavy Metal Magazine, which had been running for 46 years. And they, I think, actually, they also had to put up the money to publish the final issue in the promise of starting a volume two under their, their publishing masthead. And they got the final issue of volume one out. I think they even did like an, uh, a variant exclusive black bag, like the death of Superman. So it was like the Heavy Metal logo in like the, the pentagram with the bleeding or whatever. Um, and then they just announced this week that apparently they don't have the money to do volume two. And this is something that concerns me because yes, there's all these great advantages of this digital age we live in with these, these, you know, these crowdfundings, but then you have um, some guys who kind of come in, get a lot of heat because of a certain situation because of the, you know, whatnot was blew up during the pandemic. Right. And when people were, were stuck at home, right? And so now they take the step into publishing and then something like this happens where basically they buy, you know, one of the most revered indie comic anthologies for the last 46 years and it's just buried now. And that does concern me as a dark side to what we are experiencing right now. Um, I just really quick, what are your what are your hot takes on that? Again, it goes back to printing, and it's it's the biggest, saddest casualty that that we have in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, being able, like like Mad Magazine going going under, mm -hmm. um, all these staples from from uh, a beautiful century that had all these beautiful magazines printed and and something tangible that you can hold. And I don't think books are going away. Mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think it's something that's completely vanishing, but it seems to, you know, one domino at a time seems to be falling. And and hopefully it doesn't uh, continue this way. And I, I I'm just really upset that they would buy this amazing um, title mm -hmm. just to bury it. It yeah. doesn't the logic behind it doesn't make much sense. Maybe they're trying to do like digital only, but I, I mean, I it's a staple that is printed, you know. Yeah, I think the, the the intention was was not to bury it. The intention was to get this volume two out, and the work was done on the first issue. And that's another thing is that apparently the artists and creators didn't get paid for the work they've done on this first issue of volume two. I think it's just they they ran out of money. I think that they over expected the popularity of their brand, and they overextended yeah. themselves. And I think now this is the casualty. So that's so I think that's sort of like my my takeaway from this is that um, we live in an age now where everything is so accessible so immediately that people have these spikes in popularity and attention, and they're like, yeah. "I'm never coming down. I'm always going to be at the top of the heap." And then tastes change, situations change, and now, oh wow, this isn't the five-year plan that we had we got a year out of this so that's why I, I think that their intentions were, were were honest and honorable i didn't think they did this just to bury it i just think that they were um victims of their own hubris i i, I would say as far as thinking well, we, we we got we're gonna have all the money in the world forever and now we don't you know that's but that's the that's the evil of corporations you know they realize they get overzealous they do this purchasing and then they realize they don't have, they don't have the money to back it up mm -hmm. but you're, at the same time you're you're bearing an iconic title and if if they were true um what's the word i'm looking for if they they were truly honorable i'll just use honorable they're truly honorable they would just release the rights to it to somebody that cares for it and wants to keep it 
in printed format because you know that there's there's buyers out there that would do that yeah or and keep up. it going yeah or, exactly yeah, at the about, at the very least partner with somebody that wants to do the printing if it's and about keep it sustainable yeah if it's about having the massive whatnot logo on a volume two of heavy metal partner with somebody else to get it out and get it out there yeah don't, don't scale just down if you have to yeah, yeah yeah exactly scale down i mean just keep it alive don't don't completely uh you know brush it under the carpet doesn't make sense it's not logical yeah i will tell you though uh mad magazine has come back uh because they are owed by a giant corporate umbrella they're they're a warner Brothers <laughs> property uh so mad magazine is now back on comic stands in magazine format with alfred e. on the covers yeah and 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 it's a cover price of five ninety nine, but as they remind you, that's cheap. He's still yeah, doable, that. man. Inflation, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, very doable. That's awesome. Uh, that's good to know. I didn't yeah, even know that. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they did go away for a while, and that was that was I was like, oh, that sucks. That's that's. I, yeah, I remember when they did their last one. And yeah. yeah, when they did their last one, it was iconic, and and they got the artists to do other things uh, here and there. Um, yeah, but I'm glad that they're able to do it. Hopefully they just treat their people right, their artists and things like that. That's another thing with these giant corporations. They're trying to pinch pennies. And, yes, exactly. and unfortunately, like like you said about going to Image, that would be great. But I'm getting a lawyer to read all this you know, fine print 100%. because I don't trust any of these. If it's tier two, three, four, five, whatever tier it is, if I'm giving something that I poured all my heart and soul and blood into and, and my creative, you know, piece with, with my artists, I'm not taking anything away from them, but it's something that we collectively make. I'm not just going to give the rights to somebody else. We're going to, we're going to sit down and hash it out. So I don't see that coming at all for somebody, you know, of my stature. I'm just happy to be able to get to speak with people like you and, and try to get the message across that I exist. And and, and this, this title is out there. And if you have time, give it a look. Awesome. Awesome. Kevin, thank you so much. I love your spirit, your passion, your energy, your desire to tell these stories. Uh, keep at it. Don't ever give up. Um, thank you so much for being here. Uh, again, I think we went live, so I think, uh, I think this actually happened and I'm glad, uh, it was with you and, um, appreciate you, John. Yeah. And so once again, just tell people how they can reach out to you, how they can find you. Uh, Um, I'm on Instagram. Um, my handle is at the Zold. Uh, so it's T H E Z O L D. And, uh, are you going to put any links or anything? And uh, this is a I live think, video. Yeah, that's an angel yeah. traffic thing. So if you want to go gotcha. on YouTube and post the links in the comment section, uh, sounds perfect. I'll that. post links. It's better than me spelling things and trying <laughs> to spell things in Spanish. Yeah. So uh, yeah, no I, it didn't work before. Trust me, I'm done interviews and me spelling doesn't sound too good. But hey, so, I want to end this yeah. with uh, giving a high five to the camera. Ah, Will you give a high five? Yeah, brother. I appreciate you. Positivity, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Thank I appreciate you. it a lot. Not going to send you off just yet because I got I do have a graphic oh. for Angels, uh, Amazing Action Comics, socials, and stuff like that. So I'm going to put that up, and I'm basically going to do the outro here. Folks, this is uh, the information for the Amazing Action Comics podcast. If you are a comic creator and you would like to come on and join us for an interview, uh, we love to have you of any tier. We'll take anybody from any tier at this point because we love doing this and we love comics. Uh, of course, as always, support your local comic shop. Uh, as everybody who listens to the show knows, my favorite is The Joker's Child in Fairlawn, New Jersey, where you can get all sorts of wonderful comic swag and toys and statues and good old floppies and great new tra uh, trade paperback and hardcover collections, as well as the classics. Uh, Kevin, I want to kick it to you. Where do you get your comics? Or do you um, I get them. Like to, to plug? So I live on a remote island in Hawaii. There's 3,000 people here. So I'm basically confined to the internet. Um, and I do my ordering uh, through... Uh, do shops um, and have them send it to me. There's a there's a shop out in Honolulu that sends me everything. I don't want to plug anybody. I don't really, I don't have too many close knit friendships out here. I just moved out here uh, a few years ago, um, 
And uh, I know Comics Kings in Virginia Beach, they treated me very well when I was uh, living back home in Virginia Beach. Uh, Comic Kings, hopefully they're still around. I haven't been, I haven't been back there in about ten, over 10 years. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I wish, I wish all comic shops the best. It's, 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 it's brings so many great memories of just going to the store and like looking at the shelves. And it's, it, again, it's something that I hope stays around and, uh, the youth of today get to experience the same experiences that I got to experience and get me into comics and keep it, keep the ball rolling. It's, uh, I think if, uh, if, if shops do a little, uh, indie creator, I don't want to say corner or something in their shops, but I don't know about distribution for indie comics. Um, but there seems a, a, a need for that niche. And I think every comic shop in, in, in the world could, advance with having these these you know not top tier storytellers be able to get their product out there and their their message out there more than anything more than just a product it's it's it is a message um so uh but yeah no 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 comic shops uh that i want to want to rep i need to get more more into it out here but it costs so much money to travel around to different islands out here, man. I can imagine. I can imagine. But you know what? Uh, absolutely 100% agree with your sentiment. Uh, local comic shops are really the last bastion of uh, great culture that more people definitely need to explore and rediscover or discover for the first time. Uh, I always call them, you know, local comic shops are, they're part clubhouse, they're part museum. You know, everyone is a little bit different, um, but they all have the same goal in mind. And uh, that is getting comics into people's hands and getting new readers and satisfying the older readers. And uh, again, thanks to creators like you. Uh, I hope to, See your book in shop someday, man. I uh, appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you having me. You've hey, been a pleasure to speak with. Great conversation, man. Well, thank thank you. you very much. It means a lot. God bless you. Keep doing uh, the great things. And, you know, I wish you the best of health going forward, my friend. Hey, appreciate you a lot. One more high five. One more high five. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> Thank you very much. This has been the amazing Action Comics Indie Creator Spotlight for July 20th, 2023. I have been your host, John Pepe. I want to thank my guest, uh, Kevin Zoldan. And remember, folks, like Angel always reminds us every at the end of every episode, be amazing, stay amazing, and read something amazing. <laughs>